So we've been doing this series looking at um, stories of grace, stories that Jesus told, parables that Jesus told, that can be retold in our lives. Stories that have a purpose. When we spend time in, in listening to Jesus' words, we're spending time with him. And, uh, and we're opening our lives to him. And when we spend time with Jesus, we're changed. And so last week we looked at uh, the, the parable of, of uh, the Good Samaritan. And, uh, and this week we're going to just kind of finish that off a little bit. We're going to continue it, um, thinking particularly about what it means for us to go and do likewise. We heard the story, if you weren't here last week, I'm not going to say the whole thing again. You can catch up by listening online. Uh, all the talks go online. And uh, they're on podcasts as well, so you can sign up for those things. But today I want to particularly think about what does it mean for us to go and do likewise, as Jesus said. It's not quite as simple as it sounds. Imagine that you give money to somebody who's perhaps a homeless man in the street. After all, didn't Jesus say, give to those who ask? But then later you see the same man harassing passers-by and intimidating them. You wonder whether you made the right decision. You wonder what will he spend the money on. He looks agitated to you. You think perhaps he's going to spend the money on his addiction. And you ask yourself, did you really help him? Imagine there's a family, that, a neighbor that keeps asking for money. They've, they've got young children and so you help for the sake of them. You've paid off the odd bill here and there. You've given some cash. You know they struggle. But you also know that they're, well, they're not very good at handling money. And they, they get behind with their bills quickly. They just don't seem to manage in the home. What will you say next time they ask for help? You wonder, have you really helped them? Have I really loved my neighbor? Imagine you have a son or a daughter who, who keeps losing their job and their attitude to authority is bad and they can't cope with someone telling them what to do. And so they keep getting fired. And when they come home each time, you, you bail them out, you, you pay their debts, you feed them, you wash their clothes, you let them stay as long as they like. But you wonder, at what point do you say enough is enough? When will the cycle ever stop? Some of us, when we consider how is it we're meant to love our neighbor as ourselves, we worry. We worry about being taken advantage of. We worry about, oh, are, they, are they really deserving of our help? Are they, am I really going to help them by doing this for them? And so perhaps some people justify saying no all the time. Oh, but there's other people perhaps who they know they want to they want to just serve God and they've got a big heart and they they, they want to just help people and they want to serve people and love people uh, and so they they always say yes but they go away wondering at what point will these guys be able to stand on their own two feet am I really loving my neighbour is there a point where my help starts to hurt. Jesus said, didn't he, love your neighbor as yourself. Surely we shouldn't have to choose between the two, either loving ourselves or loving our neighbor. I wonder if there is another way. I wonder which of those camps you fall into. Do you walk on by justifying it, saying, well, they've probably brought it upon themselves. I'm not really helping, so I won't help. Or do you just 
don't have any boundaries whatsoever and you just give to everybody who asks and find yourself in a situation where you are in need. What do we do then? How do we, how do we walk a middle road? Well, this morning I would just want to just dig into the story of the Good Samaritan and see a little bit more of what Jesus said and see if we can just tease out a way to love our neighbours as ourselves, to go and do likewise in a way that is wise. That's what we want, isn't it? To go and do likewise in a way that is wise. This is what Jesus said then. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. We looked at that last week. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The first thing I want to just bring out is, if we're going to go and do likewise, then we need to cultivate compassion. The Samaritan, as he journeyed, he saw him and he had compassion on him. Now, compassion is not, does not calculate the worthiness of those we help. And it's a movement of the heart to see someone as God sees them. We talked about this last week, not seeing the problem, but seeing the person. And sometimes when we see people in need around us, or we meet people on the way, we put them in different categories. Different categories. The, those who are worthy of our help and those who are not worthy or deserving of our help. If someone perhaps who is, is in a poor situation where they, they're, they're on the brink of poverty, we, we do this little mental calculation sometimes of, well, what was it that led them there? Because maybe that has some bearing on whether we should help or not. There are those who are poor because of oppression and injustice. That's an easy one. Worthy. Deserving of our help. No fault of their own. There are those who are poor because of sickness and disability. Worthy. Deserving of our help. But then there's those who are poor because of gambling addiction. Unworthy. Undeserving of our help. Or those who are poor because they've been made redundant. Worthy. Or because they were sacked. Because of incompetency. Unworthy. Sometimes, if we're honest, we make a little calculation of who we think are deserving of our help and those who we think are undeserving of our help. But the truth is that life is much more complicated. The reasons people find themselves in need are often a mixture of many things compounding one with another to a kind of critical mass. It's impossible to say who is worthy and who is not. And as we've been seeing about this stories of grace is that it's not about worthiness. Grace comes to those who are undeserving. It's unmerited, unearned, undeserved loving kindness. 
And so worthiness does not come into the picture at all. It is not in the equation. We shouldn't have categories for compassion. We just need to see the people as they are. This is what Luke 6 says. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. If we find sometimes ourselves, and maybe you just can ask this question of yourself, if you find yourself justifying a lack of action or a lack of helping because we don't think somebody deserves our help, then we've missed the point. We need to cultivate some compassion. We need to cultivate some compassion. Remember that Christ has done for you and do it for others. Tim Keller put it this way, a life poured out in deeds of mercy is the inevitable sign of true faith. How we treat people in need is the way God finds out what we're really like. Matthew 25, Jesus told us, said that there, there will be people in judgment, some, who, some sheep and goats. There will be people who will be judged dependent upon how they, tra- how they treated the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the sick, the imprisoned, those in need. And it's as if, imagine for a minute that um, there's this rich aunt. It'd be nice to have a rich aunt, wouldn't it? I don't know if anyone's got a rich aunt. You've got a rich aunt, and, she's, and she's, she's, she doesn't have any other family apart from this one nephew. And, uh, and she, she wants to know what kind of a person he is. And so, because she's going to leave all her money to him, she wants to find out what kind of a person is he. And so she, she decides what she's going to do is one day she's going she's to dress up and she's going to disguise herself and she's going to go and sit on his steps of his house and he's gonna, she's going to pretend to be homeless, she's going to pretend to be in need and she's going to see what he's going to do. And he, he walks out of the house and how he treats that person tells her what he's really like, Right? Our character is what we show people when we don't think anybody is watching. And so he, he comes down and he calls her names, tells her to get, get off his steps or else. She's learned something, hasn't she? The same way Jesus learns something about our hearts in the way that we treat other people, in the way we treat those in need. Jesus is watching. He is looking. He wants to know what we're really like. And we need to catch ourselves about how we really respond in situations where we find people in need. So compassion does not do a calculation of worthiness. Let's look in the mirror. Are we tempted to withhold compassion from those we think are not worthy? Cultivate a heart of compassion. Secondly, we need to count the cost. And he went on to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The church has an amazing record for looking after people in need. Did you know that out of all of the faith groups and all of the social action and work that goes in to help people in need, out of all the religious groups in this country, 94% of the work is done by the church. 94%. This is what we're here for. It's not just an additional extra. When Paul was, when, um, 
when the disciples were in Acts and, um, and the apostles, Peter, were kind of dealing with people in need, they set apart people especially called deacons to do what? To, to wait on people, to help them in their need. It was God's idea because he saw it as important. We as a church have a hardship fund that it's possible to give to and it's given as a discretionary help to people who are in need. Charity First uh, that we have up in Illingworth, all of the proceeds go back into the community. Thousands of pounds every year goes back into the community and we're exploring ways to bring God's love and compassion to people. But we need to, as a church, yes, we count the cost, but individually we also need to count the cost. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. What does that mean? Well, firstly, we see that the Samaritan is open-handed in his, with his time. He gives time. He's not in a hurry. He delays his journey. Whatever he was doing, he put it on hold and he found a safe place for him. We need to hold our time lightly. Count the cost of the time it's going to take. God will give you back that time. Sometimes we worry, don't we? We Sometimes we worry that we won't get everything done. God will give you back the time. He'll redeem the time. He'll make a way. God manages my diary all the time. It's amazing. Sometimes we just get ourselves in a little bit of a mess. I don't know if anybody else is like this. And I just get towards the week and I just think, God, I've said yes to too many things. Help. And, and always, every time, something is cancelled. Something. I get the time back. God helps me prioritise what we should do. Don't worry about your time. God will give it back to you. But also about money, he says he gives generously and it's an open-ended financial commitment. Whatever you spend, I will repay when I come back, he says. Now, this is, oh, this hurts for the Yorkshireman, doesn't it? Not sure about this. It's open-ended, isn't it? It's, the, the goal is not to spend a limited amount, but the goal is to meet the need in full. We've got to really think about counting the cost to help people. And it will come back to us in many ways. This is what Deuteronomy says. This, is, this was God's heart for, the, for the, the family of God, the Israelites at the time. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, if any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against the poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. To be open-handed is to share the cost. To be open-handed is to, to share what you have. And to have an open heart as well. There are amazing examples of people in, in the history of, um, of this area that we live in. Of Christian businessmen whose faith caused them to share the wealth that they had with people in need. I was reading about Sir Titus Salt. Businessman in Bradford who opened Saltair Mills. Who's been to Saltair? Okay. And you'll know that on his 50th birthday, perhaps. You might not know this, but on, in 1853, he set about building houses. So he opened Saltair Mills, but the, straight away he went on to meeting the needs of the people that worked for him. He built houses for the workers, bathhouses, an institute, a hospital, almshouses, and churches. And it's said that he aimed to promote a healthy and godly lifestyle for his workers. He went on to become mayor of Bradford, a member of parliament. And when he died... 
It said that 100,000 people lined the streets to the church. Here's a, here's a wealthy man. Here's somebody with, with, with a, lot, a lot to give. And yet he decided what he was going to do. And only God will know his, his deepest motivations. But I believe he was a Christian. And he, and he decided he's going to share the burden. He's going to share the cost. He's going to count the cost of helping other people to thrive. See, if, if God cares about every individual, he wants every individual to thrive, doesn't he? And he's given, if he's given us what we need and more, and there's someone over there with less than they need, then God is calling us to help other people to thrive. This is what it says in 1 Timothy 6. Share what you have. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Ready to share. Not trusting in that wealth. Not putting your hope in it. Not saying it's all mine. But saying it's all God's. Counting the cost. This is what the Samaritan did, isn't it? Did he do this? And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. That applies to every single one of us. We've all got something to share. It might be, simply be that all you need to do is decide that you're going to share something with, with, with those in your family, but just a little bit more, just to spread your arms just a little bit wider. Just as we saw kind of with, with Boaz when we were looking at the book of Ruth before the summer, Boaz was this guy, he had, he had a lot of wealth, he had a lot of influence and he decided he was going to look after everybody. He looked after his workers, didn't he? But then he also just stretched his arms just a little bit wider to include someone else. I wonder what, whether you can just do the, what you would do for your, initial, your immediate family just to do for one other person, one other neighbor. Just stretch your net a little bit wider, your arms just a little bit wider. Maybe it's just you need to just come home from, from, uh, from Morrison's You've been to Morrison's and you've got your bargains. And you just decide, that's such a bargain, I'm going to get more than I need. And then I'm going to knock on the neighbor and I'm, the neighbor's door and I'm going to say, listen, I've got too much here. Would you like some? I'm going to share what I have. Count the cost. Have a generous, open-handed heart and open-handed opportunity. Open-handed with what we have. Whatever influence or position you have, whatever wealth you have, consider it a calling you might be responsible for your family. Consider it a calling to see them thrive. You might be responsible for, for people in the workplace. Consider it a calling to help them thrive. But we've also got a calling to people who are, that we just meet on the road. Those people that we just find in need, that God brings along our path. Can we hold our lives and our possessions and our time lightly enough for God to use us, to bring hope to somebody else, to be open-handed and wise with it. I wonder, do you count the cost? But thirdly, we also need to call for change. And this is where the people that sometimes we're a bit worried about, well, if I, if I do all of that, if I count the cost, if I, where does it end? What, what if this? What if? What if I just get keeping on get taken advantage of? What if it's a bottomless pit? What if it? 
What if I just keep on going on and on? Is that really helping somebody who's in need if I just keep them in that place? But we also need to call people to change. The Samaritan said, I, I will repay you when I come back. He didn't just drop everything. He delayed, didn't he? But then he got about with his business and he left the man. He left him. He left him in someone else's care, but he left him. He didn't create a dependency upon himself. He got, and he didn't cut out everything else in his life. He took responsibility of the things that he needed to do as well. And in the same way, I believe that the Samaritan models something for us. That as we seek to show compassion to people that we meet on the way, people in need, whatever that need might be, the first thing is we meet them with compassion. And we count the cost to help them in that moment. But as time goes on, we also need to call for change. Because otherwise that person will never become the person that God wants them to be. They will never grow into the people that God calls them to be. This is what Galatians 6, I read read this really excellent book that I've been reading. It's called Boundaries. It's written by um, two Christian psychologists, a guy called Henry Cloud and the other one who I can't remember because his name is not as memorable. Uh, Anyway, and Henry Cloud talks about the difference that we see between the Bible calling us to bear one another's burdens, but also everybody bears their own load. So this is Galatians 6 verse 2. It says, bear one another's burdens. Now a burden is something that is crushing. It's something that is too heavy. Imagine somebody with a huge rock on their back that they just physically can't carry by themselves. Jonah was doing this for me on, uh, during the week. We were helping the electricians do some of the work to save a bit of money, and I wasn't too well. And so I had to go off and just have a little sit down. And, and Jonah just carried, carried my share of the burden and helped us put the scaffolding up and all of this stuff. And, and the crush, thanks, Jonah. I'm big, yeah, thanks, I really appreciate it. I, I would have actually I would have been crushed by myself. Jonah helped share the burden. It was too much. You might be in a situation where you've got a burden on you and it's too much. And you've got it in your mind that you have to do this all by yourself. But there are some burdens that have to be shared. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. It's, it's, it's something that we cannot do by ourselves. A crisis or a tragedy. But then also what we find is... We are also called to bear our own load. That's a different word. Load really is kind of like somebody, it's like having a rucksack on your back when you're out for the day. I don't know if you've ever been on walks with, with family or with kids. And, and sometimes, you know, you've been walking for about three minutes. Everybody's got their packed lunches in their bag. And suddenly the kids are boiling hot and they start stripping off the coats. The coats come off. And what do they say? Dad carry my coat. And I say, tie it around your waist. Okay, tie it around your waist. Plodding along, moaning. And they've got their rucksack on their back. Dad, can you carry my rucksack? No, you've got to carry your own rucksack. Everybody's got to carry their own load. There is a daily responsibility each one of us has to carry our own loads. And if we go around carrying other people's loads for them, they're never going to become responsible So we have to learn to distinguish between what is a burden that is crushing and what is a load that is actually for each one of us to take. Problems arise when we act, when we're carrying boulders and we we act as if it's just a daily load, but we don't, we become, we become martyrs to a cause of self-sufficiency, but we can become crushed. We're not meant to carry these burdens alone. We're in community and a family for a reason. God 
we want to help each other. We share the burden. There are times when we, we just need to go out of our way for one another because unless we do that, someone's going to be crushed by the load, by the burden. They need someone to talk to. They need someone to pick them up, the kid, pick the kids up from school because they're, they're, they're poorly. They need someone to just kind of just give them some meals because they've just had a baby. They need to, otherwise it's just going to be crushing. But problems also arise when people act as if their daily loads are things that they shouldn't have to bear. For those people, they're saying, oh, my rucksack is too heavy, I can't manage it. Like, no, you've got to carry your own rucksack. If we, if we, if we're too, if we, if we carry them all the journey, they're never going to learn to take responsibility. I've got a confession to make. I helped my daughter do her homework the other day. Well, I say helped, kind of did it for her. Okay, it was so it was very late at night, and she had this math, these maths questions. I did A-level maths, and I thought, okay, I can, I've, I've got this. I can do this. I had to relearn some of the things that I hadn't learned. But uh, she'd done some questions, and she knew how to do it. But I said, okay, I'll just finish it off for you, because otherwise you're going to get a detention. And if you get a detention, that's going to be a massive inconvenience to all of us, let's face it. Okay, so for that one time, I decided, okay, I'm going to help you do your questions. And, uh, and I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bear your load. I'm going to carry a rucksack just this once, just this time. But imagine if I decided that I was going to do that every time. And Hannah Faith, whenever she came up to me, said, okay, Daddy, can you, do, can you do my homework? And I'll say, oh, yeah, give it here. Give it here, I'll, I'll do it. I'll take that. You, you, go and, you go and do whatever you want to do. I'll do it because I like to be needed. And I can do this, and it makes me feel like I'm achieving something. And I want to help. I just want to help you. I'm, so, I, yeah, because I love you, I'm going to do it. There will come a point when that help will start to hurt. Because she has a load that she needs to bear herself. And she's not going to grow unless I allow her to do it. And she might at some point not like me for that. But if I love her, I need to get over the fact that she might not like me for a time because I love her more than I want to be liked. And that, I think, is a really important principle that we need to remember when we seek to help people along the road. We meet them with kindness and compassion straight away. And we meet people with with counting the cost and we share the load. And if it's a burden that's crushing them, then we obviously we help carry it. But then at some point as the, as the journey continues, we, we encourage them to take more responsibility for their own lives. And, and it's not unloving to do that. We encourage people to keep going and to keep changing. We call for change. I wonder... Are you in a situation where there's somebody that you just keep on keeping on, keeping on helping, and you just, every time they drop something, you catch it? A member of the family, perhaps. That, that is just kind of, you, you, feel, you feel obliged, and so you just don't ever let anything drop. But they never learn. They never grow. They never become responsible. Are there people in your lives that perhaps you need to just encourage them to take responsibility by letting them face the consequences for a time. I can't, this is not something that you need to rush into. 
I really believe this is something we each one of us need to just carefully consider and think about. But there comes a point in, as we're helping people along the road where we encourage them to get back on their own two feet and, and carry on carrying their own load. Perhaps it's more helpful for us to ask some questions. If we find ourselves in a dependent relationship where somebody is always dependent upon our need and our help, we need to ask some of these questions. How can I help them change for the better? How can I help them take responsibility and grow? And how can I move them forward closer to God? You see, because we've got these periphery needs, these immediate needs, but the greatest need everybody has is a need to know God. And if we're not moving people towards God, then are we really helping them? There's a a brilliant work that happens in Huddersfield called Open Door. And every Friday, the community center is filled with refugees, asylum seekers, and homeless and, most, and some people just looking for a, for a free meal. And the meal at the beginning, before, before they do anything else, everybody knows that they have to listen to a talk. <laughs> and it's one of those things that kind of, I think people just kind of like, where they just put up with it, some of them. But unless people have an opportunity to be moved before God to welcome the friendship, how are they going to move forward? We need to call for change. And Jesus is the best example of this, isn't he? See, Jesus meets us as we are, with compassion. He meets us in our need. But then he counts the cost of what it takes for us to be restored. He died on the cross. He took our place. He counted the cost. But then he also calls us to a changed life. To not leave us in a place where we are just staying where we always were, but in a place where we're actually using our gifts for him, serving him, and sharing what we have. That's called discipleship. And so we need to call others to change. Are there people in your lives that out of a desire to just keep them happy or to love them, perhaps you've just helped them and your heart goes out to them, but perhaps there is a time to say you've actually got to change. Otherwise, you're not going to grow and my help is not actually helping you anymore. And that's a hard conversation to have. But if we love people, we need to learn how to have it. And so this morning, I wonder what you relate to most out of what I've just said. As you think about your families and those in need, are there some people that you just need to regain a heart of compassion for because you're fed up with them? Are there people that you have decided that you've drawn a arbitrary line and how much you're going to give but really they're still in crisis and they're still crushed by the burden and God is calling you to be more open handed or are there people in your life that you've become that have become so dependent upon you that they're like children that never grow up God's calling us to call for change and he does it because he loves us and we do it because We love others. And if we're really going to go and do likewise, we need to see people get back on their feet again and become all that they're made to be. Even if that means that they think, well, he's gone, he's abandoned me, he's left me. No. If we love people with compassion and share the cost, they'll know our hearts. So perhaps the thing we need to pray for ourselves and for us as a church as we seek to journey with people in need 
is we want to just ha- get, the, get the journey right. We want to meet the initial need with compassion. We want to move through counting the cost. And then we want to see people set free to be all that they're made to be. Perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you need to take responsibility for your own life in some way. Or perhaps you need to call others to do the same. Whatever it is, let's just ask God to do that work in our lives. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to do more than simply satisfy our own conscience with a, with a token gesture of helping somebody in need. We actually want to see people thrive. We want to love them as ourselves. Just as you love us, we want to love other people. And so, Lord, we do want to cultivate a heart of compassion. Lord, forgive us where we get compassion fatigue, perhaps overwhelmed by the needs around us, perhaps not sure where to start. Lord, do a work in our hearts. Open our hearts. And help us to live open-handed, Father God, counting the cost, sharing the burden, not seeing people around us, even on our streets, who are crushed by burdens, when, when you've put us in those places where we can help. We can offer encouragement. We can even just offer a smile that says, you're not alone. We're with you. Whatever it might be, Lord, would you move us, Lord, to share what we have been given and entrusted with, to bless other people and to see them grow. Lord, we also, Father God, pray for your strength and your wisdom when we have to have conversations where we say, listen, we can't carry on this way. Something's got to change. might be in our marriage. might be in our family. might be in the workplace. It might be a neighbor. It might be some kind of dependency that has just, just been left to just be what it is. But Lord, we pray that you'd help us to move forward and to move others forward to call for change, and ultimately to see people come to know you as a result of that change. Help us, Lord. We need your wisdom. But Lord, we thank you, Father God, that you're only asking us to do what you have already done for us. And so you have given us everything we need. You've equipped us for this by doing it for us first, that you love us just as we are. You counted that cost of the cross. And you you filled us with your spirit that we might live a new life. Lord, we want to live that life for you. So help us, Lord, we pray, to go and do likewise, just as you have commanded. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing one final.